0: As you may have picked up, this evening is is going to be a little different than most of our our evenings. Uh, we're, it's not just a regular sermon this evening, as Pastor has alluded to over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, tonight we're going to be introducing a new uh, outreach program called Reach. Okay. Uh, before we get into that, though, I think it's fitting that we would go to the Lord in prayer and just ask Him to to be with us through this time. Father, we desire that now as we look at your word, as we look at what the gospel has, mean, has meant to us, Lord, as we look at our responsibility to share it, as we look at the opportunities that lie ahead, Lord, we ask that you would be with each one of us tonight. Lord, as we process uh, the opportunity set before us, may we choose to do according to what you want us to do and not according to our own desires or comforts. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for each one uh, around us, Lord, who does not know you. Lord, We just ask that they, through the testimony of what you're doing in our lives, Lord, would bring them to yourself. Lord, we pray uh, that you would be glorified. Lord, that your name would be lifted up that none of us would would do things that would would bring shame to the name of Christ or reproach upon him lord we ask that uh, our our conduct our conversation would be befitting the gospel and lord as we look at the gospel tonight lord help it to penetrate deeply into our hearts not just to to be something that we we mull over in our head but something that gets Uh, rooted deep in our hearts and changes and transforms every aspect of our being. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would keep Satan away. Lord, that he would not uh, foil any plans that you would have uh, for each individual here. Lord, we just pray that uh, you would bless this time tonight. Lord, give me clarity of speech as I present these opportunities, as I present these these lessons as well. Lord, just be with us now. We ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. All right, so you've heard the announcements that, uh, that we're, we're starting a new outreach program. It's called REACH. And just so it's not a distraction uh, during uh, the time that we talk about the gospel, uh, yes, it is an acrostic. It does stand for something. We have several other ministries here that are, that are framed as acrostics. Uh, so in the past, we've had NOW. that stands for? No Opportunity Wasted. Okay, the teens sometimes have a snack, which is? Sunday night after church. Okay, during the summer, the kids have SAFE. Summer at Faith. Okay. The, uh, this is a different one. Uh, used to be owls. Older, wiser, learned saints, okay, our seniors group. All right, so we've used acrostics here in the past. Uh, Reach is an acrostic, and just so it's not a distraction to you, uh, we'll get out the meaning here. Uh, You ready? Righteous evangelists accosting cold hearts. (laughs) It has a a ring to it, doesn't it? All right, uh, how about this one? Uh, Reminding everyone to actively choose heaven. No? Okay. No, it's, uh, it's not that complicated. It's, uh, it's on the back of your sheets if you've looked already. Relatives, employment, activities, community, and hobbies. Okay, it's a simple reminder for us that the gospel we profess should permeate all the facets of our lives. Before we get into what this program entails, though, it would benefit us to spend some time talking about the gospel. In a nutshell, the gospel is what makes us Christians, what distinguishes us from other religions. It's the truth that we have been separated from a holy God by our sin, that salvation is provided by the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's applied to our lives by our faith in him and our repentance from our sin. So that is the gospel. These are truths that many of us have heard since we were children. Uh, But tonight, I want to pose a question to you. The question is this. Is your gospel too small? By this, I don't mean that there are any deficiencies in the gospel itself. But there may be in how we understand, how we apply it, how extensively it permeates our lives. So is your gospel too small? Let's look at three aspects. Your gospel may be too small if it doesn't include a big view of God. We could easily spend all of our time tonight and for weeks to come discussing the topic, the person of God. We know God is powerful. We've recently looked at the nature of the angelic beings He created. Okay, the incredible future He has planned for those of us who follow Him. We have a head knowledge of His attributes—how He's loving and gracious and holy and good and righteous and just. But I know it's true for myself at times that I don't allow all of that—that I know of God to affect my view of the gospel and how I view my relationship with him. If the gospel is the good news concerning the reconciling of my relationship with God, then the more I understand of God's transcendence, the purity of his holiness, the absoluteness of his righteous justice, only then can I appreciate the goodness of the news. If I believe or act as though I was 98% of the way to achieving his standard and he just kind of like bumped me the other 2% of the way up over the top. The gospel will have far less significance to me than if I realized that at my best I was a miserable, for the sake of illustration, 2% of his standard. And he lifted me, picked me up, and carried me uh, the rest of the way. Rescued me anyway. Jesus affirms this reality In Luke 7.47, therefore, I say to you, referring to the woman, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So, the question for us is, have we been forgiven little, or have we been forgiven much? The guilt for our sin is great, because we have sinned against one who is great, there's a story author David Platt tells of a conversation that Azim, uh, an Arab Christian, uh, had with a taxi driver in his country. Now the, the driver believed that he would pay for his sin in hell for a little while, uh, but then he would surely go to heaven after that. After all, he hadn't done too many bad things. So Azim said to him, Say, for instance, I slapped you in the face. What would you do to me? The taxi driver replied, I would throw you out of my taxi. If I went up to a random guy on the street and slapped him in the face, what would happen? He would probably call his friends and beat you up. What if I went up to a policeman and slapped him in the face? What would happen? You would be beat up for sure and then thrown into jail. And what if I went to the king of this country and slapped him in the face? The driver looked at Azim awkwardly and laughed nervously understanding where this was going, he said, you would die. The reality of our sin is that no matter what the offense is or to what extent we have committed it, the appropriate punishment is death because it's an offense against an infinite God. Now, concerning the topic of hell, I read this this interesting excerpt. Let me just read it for you because it's worded uh, better than I could. What's the general response of most sensitive people to the idea of hell? Here's the primary and most popular response. How can a loving, just God create and fill a place like hell? That's not fair. It's not right. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. If I tell one lie or steal a pack of gum or say a curse word when I stub my toe, I get eternal torment forever and ever. Am I close? Isn't this where most people's logic lands? It's not fair. But to discount the enormity of God's severity as if we aren't really that bad and really deserve mostly kindness is to discount the enormity of God's holiness. It is very easy in this trajectory of logic to switch things up, completely disregard the Scripture and the teachings of Jesus and move into the idea that it's we who are good and God who has fallen. That's a scary thought. None of us are, are guilty of just one minor sin anyway. Sin itself has infected the core of our being. We aren't just people who sin. We are sinners. For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next subpoint there the message of the gospel is great because we are reconciled to a great God. The great message that we call the gospel begins not with us, not with our need or even the meeting of that need, but with the writer of the news, the sender of its heralds, God himself. God God designed this. Pastor Bergraf spoke last week about the response of those we are told about, who stood in the presence of God. Job, Isaiah, John, all of them, these giants of the faith, these men of of great character, they were undone. They all crumpled under the weight of God's glory that was before them. This God, the one who initiated the gospel, is so far beyond what we can begin to comprehend apart from what he's revealed to us. Just think of a few other aspects. He is the creator of everything that we see and everything that we don't see. Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Deuteronomy ten fourteen: Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. That's our God. That's the one we offended. That's the one we are separated from. It's the one who restores us to himself. He is self-sufficient. Romans 11.35, Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? Okay, God doesn't owe us anything. God God is not a debtor to us because of things that we have contributed to him. We, We don't fill any void in his life. We're not in a position to bargain with him in any way. And he is jealous for his glory. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Throughout the Old Testament, we see him working to defend the honor of his name. He brought the Israelites out of Egypt for the sake of his name. He struck some of them down when they complained for the sake of his name, his reputation. And in spite of his transcendence, in spite of all of this that we, we can, can even imagine about God, God has extended pardon to us who are his enemies, who are deserving of, of eternal punishment. The greatness of our God should cause us to have a big view of the gospel. So is our gospel too small? It may be if it doesn't include a big view of God. It may also be if it only pertains to the past or the future. As Christians, we often frame our interaction with the gospel in terms of the past or the future. Okay, the gospel in the past relates to our justification, the point at which we were legally made right with God. We often use terms like when I was saved or when I got born again to refer to this point. The gospel in the future relates to our glorification, the time at which God will finish the restoration process and make us completely new. We look forward to this with questions such as, do you know if you will go to heaven when you die? Or where will you spend eternity? We're looking forward to that final time with God. And these are both real and substantial aspects of the gospel. The gospel is good news because we've been justified in the sight of God. The gospel is good news because one day we will be glorified and be with him. But these two elements are not the whole story. The gospel is good news because Christ has freed us from enslavement to sin, from a life of futility, from the worship of worthless idols. Here and now, the gospel relates to our sanctification When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he reprimanded them for having this faulty view of the gospel. Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the works of the flesh? Paul's saying, this started with Christ, but you think you can take it from here? No, the gospel is what drives our changed life. The gospel is what is relevant to us here and now as we try to grow in our Christian life. Though the law was powerful and authoritative in many senses, it was completely incapable of producing real heart change at the heart level. Through this last quarter of Sunday school, we've spent several weeks in the class on handling temptations, discussing how people change. How do people who are given to anger become gentle and self-controlled? How do greedy people become generous, open-handed? How do those who are given to sexual immorality become pure? Some of the most beautiful verses, I think, in the Bible are 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not the end, though. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The power of the gospel that saves us is the same power that changes us. Within the capabilities of our flesh, our, our personal self-determination, we can put off a glaringly obvious sin, like anger, and replace it with a much more subtle one, like pride. But it is through the power of the gospel applied by the Spirit, that our evil heart can be changed to one that genuinely worships God. Second Peter 1:3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, we've been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you might be thinking at this point, what does this have to do with evangelism, though? It has everything to do with evangelism. The more we realize how necessary, how relevant the gospel is for our day-to-day living, the more we will want others to have it as well. The gospel gives me motivation for doing my job well. The gospel stabilizes me through the ups and downs of parenthood. The gospel guides me through caring for an aging aging parent. It directs my work ethic, my decision-making process, and every every facet of my personal relationships. Do I recognize that the gospel is needed as much in my coworker's parenting decisions as it is in mine? Do I understand that the gospel that has helped me to overcome some poor life decisions can help my old classmates as well? The present reality of the gospel in our lives drives our worship and desires, which drives everything else that flows out of our heart. Not only does that provide motivation for sharing the gospel with others, it also provides a means to share with others. Your conversation with a coworker may not be directly related to heaven or hell, and that may be a difficult topic to bring up. But there is some aspect of the gospel that does apply if it's so pervasive in your life, if it's touched every area of who you are. Thirdly, then, Your view of the gospel, your gospel may be too small if you live and act like other people don't really need it. The way we interact with those who do not know the gospel conveys a lot about how we view the gospel itself. Those outside of the gospel are destined for what? For eternal punishment. Paul, in discussing the Jews' rejection of Christ, The offering of salvation to us Gentiles made the following statement. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. The good news contains both the incredible extent of God's severity, his judgment. As we see his wrath poured out on his son Jesus and the, and the, the promise of punishment for those who reject him and we see his lavish kindness as we see christ's righteousness draped on those who believe we've been reminded again of the bliss of heaven the terror of hell lately as we've studied life after death concepts which many of us have heard for years how does the reality of life after death in one of those two places affect how we interact with the, the unbelievers around us do we fear for their souls or have we begin Have we begun to subconsciously embrace the response that is given? Well, that faith stuff is good for you, but it's not for me. We can't let that become our philosophy. It's good for me, but I don't need to share it with anyone else. Repeatedly in the Gospels, we read of Christ's perception of the people that he ministered to. Christ set the example and expectation of compassion toward them. And Jesus when he came out saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd so he began to teach them many things Mark 6:34 Then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him I am willing be clean be cleansed Mark 1:40 When the Lord saw her he had compassion on her and said to her do not weep Luke 7:13 While Christ did not respond to everyone this way, he certainly did for those who were beaten down, hurting, and searching. To what extent are we motivated by compassion to the people we work with, the people we pass while exercising, the people we see at the park, the people we call family? Carl Henry once made the statement, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. As we consider the topic of evangelism, have we taken the future of others too lightly? Do we, cons- do we not consider then the severity of God in judging those who have fallen short of his glory? The gospel is a precious gift that gives us new life. It gives us freedom from the power of sin. It gives us an intimate relationship with an infinite God. It gives us hope for the future. Yet it's a precious gift that does not accomplish its full potential without being shared. As we share this good news, glory abounds to God the Father because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. When we think on the greatness of our God and the gospel, we should be prompted to ask, as those at Pentecost did, what shall we then do? That brings us to reach. For past several years, many of you have been involved in the NOW program, no opportunity wasted. The various teams there have been involved in letter writing, prayer, visitation, Bible studies, connecting visitors with the church. To those of you who've been involved with that, I want to say thank you. Many of you have put a lot of time and effort into making those ministries successful. There's been a lot accomplished through them. I know for myself, when I was in seminary and involved in some of those um, years ago, You know, they were very helpful. They were very beneficial. I believe God has been glorified in them. And as I share how the REACH program will work, uh, you may notice some of the same elements because many of those elements are based on core responsibilities and privileges that we have as believers, praying, sharing the gospel, discipling others. Those are things that we're not going to get rid of. Um, So what does this look like? Okay, REACH is going to be structured around two main tenets, Okay, the first is that making disciples is something the church should be doing together. And secondly, that the gospel is most effectively spread through personal connections, especially in an increasingly non-Christian society. So let's look at those quickly. Uh, The first premise, making disciples is something that the church should be doing together. Well, we're familiar with Christ's command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That command though it was directly spoken to, to Christ's disciples, was an instruction not just to them, but it was a clear communication of what Christ desired all of his followers to do until the end of the age. It's not limited to pastors or teachers. It's not the responsibility of deacons or evangelists. It applies no more to senior saints than it does to a child who is young in both faith and life. The expectation is that this is a task for all individuals who collectively comprise the body of Christ, the church. As church members, we are to be exhorting, encouraging, and helping one another. We will not all play the same roles. We don't all have the same gifts. We will not all see the same results. But we are all called to participate in the spread of the gospel. That takes us to our second premise, that the gospel is most effectively spread through personal connections. As the message of Christ was spread uh, throughout the Roman Empire, uh, we see two primary means of its spread. Most notably, uh, in the book of Acts, we see the gospel transmitted through public proclamation, okay, preaching with the explosive launch of the church at Pentecost, and then the even more effective follow-up sermon, 5,000 people saved, and the next sermon by Peter at Solomon's porch. And then, throughout the New Testament, we see repeated instructions on continuing to preach the word. However, we also see the gospel being communicated one on one and by word of mouth. Jesus shared it with a woman at the well. The woman told her fellow townspeople. Philip brought his friend Nathaniel to Christ. Andrew brought his brother Peter later. Philip spoke to the Ethiopian one on one in the desert. Today we find ourselves living in the middle of a culture and society that has best at best marginalized the presence of God and in many cases written him off as dead or non-existent. Therefore, many of the people around us will probably never enter into a church in which they would be able to hear public proclamation of the gospel. Now, there are other, ac- other events and activities that we do at a church to try to, to bring people in, but even if they were, some of them were to come and to hear a clear gospel message, many of them don't have the context or framework with which to, to process such a radical notion. In the first century, most of the Jews accepted the existence of God. They believed that one day a a, a deliverer would come, a Messiah. But they, you know, their dispute was over whether Jesus was or wasn't that Messiah. In our society, we can ask the question to someone, are you going to heaven when you die? Only to discover that that person rejects every premise upon which that question is founded. They believe that God is a delusion. They believe there's no life after death, and they see no reason to question which non-existent place they're going to after they die in their terms. Yet God has placed within them a recognition of good and evil, a a conscience that either accuses or excuses them, and the emptiness, frustration, and vanity of a sin-filled life. In contrast, Christ has set us free from the captivity of sin, Not not just so that we might be free, but so that we might do good works, that men would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. God did not just save us so we could escape eternal punishment or have a nice heavenly mansion, but he radically transforms our lives so that we can reflect his glory to those around us. For each of us, we have a role to play in the making of disciples of all nations by starting with those closest to us whom God has placed in our circles. With those two principles in mind, uh, here's how the REACH initiative will work. Uh, For those who will join with us, we're asking you uh, for the next three months to make two commitments. Commitment number one is to your partner. The first commitment we would ask you to make is to another member of the church who is also involved in this initiative. Your commitment would involve praying for them in their outreach goals, touching base with them on a weekly basis to see how things are going, encourage them, and praying and planning together with them at monthly meetings. More on that in a bit. So if we're making a commitment to a partner, who should this be? What kind of partner are we looking for here? As one of the purposes of partnering with someone is to deepen the spiritual relationships, dependencies within the church... I would encourage you to partner with someone outside of your family, though certainly this type of relationship, conversations within the family would be, would be hugely beneficial. Uh, for some of you, you may already have two or three others that you are in a Bible study with or serving with. Uh, you would enjoy committing together to participate in this program. That would be great. Uh, if two couples want to participate together as partners, you know, that would be a group of four, but that's fine. As you think about who you would partner with, it might be helpful to to refer to the reach, acrostic. Okay, we'll get get to that uh, shortly here. But to look at the different areas of your life, and which area of life would you target evangelistically? Are you going to focus on reaching your relatives? Try partnering with someone in a similar family situation with you. Are you planning to target your community? Maybe there's others in your neighborhood that you could partner with to do the same thing. Throughout the rest of our discussion of reach, I'll refer to this other person as a partner, but understand that it may be uh, a few people, if desired. Uh, so when should I choose a partner? Well, next Sunday evening, uh, we are going to have our initial monthly meeting. Uh, that'll be next Sunday at five o- or 6 o'clock. Sorry. Uh, so don't delay. If you have somebody in mind after the service tonight, I would encourage you to talk to them or throughout the week, just give them a call and uh, get the ball rolling. I we'll would just encourage you to discuss it as soon as possible. If you would like to participate in, in this, this program, uh, but you think, you know, I have no idea who I would ask. I, I don't feel comfortable asking somebody, you know, can you just do it for me? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, there's a spot on your sign-up card there that says, uh, I'm not sure who to ask to be my partner. Please help." Okay? And uh, just mark that there. Be glad to try to connect you with someone that would be uh, appropriate for you to partner with. Uh, over the next three months, you will pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another to reach your in- individual outreach goals. Which brings us to commitment number two. The second commitment we would ask you to make is over the next three months to take at least one intentional step in sharing the gospel each month beyond what you are doing already. As people, we have a tendency to get stuck in a rut, to do the things we've always done, or at least the things that we're comfortable doing. This is a reality of any context we are in or any level we're at spiritually. It's the gospel, though, that drives us to an increasing conformity to Jesus Christ. It gets us out of our comfort zone because he did not stay in the comfort of heaven. Philippians 2, he subjected himself to the cruelties of life and death here on earth. And he then calls us to follow him, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to lose our lives for his sake and the gospel's. Depending on your situation, that next step that you would take could look different in any number of ways. Could be a simple question around the water cooler, to a coworker about what church they attend, just to start a spiritual conversation. It could be a clear pre- gospel presentation to a close friend that you've had for decades and have just beat around the bush. It could be a letter to a relative sharing the testimony of what Christ has done for you. In other situations, you could be coming alongside someone who's been beaten down by sin, who's had their life train wreck and offering them a new life in Christ. You could start by lending a helping hand to someone in your neighborhood, uh, whether or not they might take advantage of you. Okay, take that first step. If you're a young Christian, it may be helpful, maybe something that you want to do with someone so you can learn. For many of you, I would encourage you uh, to first think of the people that you already have contact with, that you could aim to reach. Uh, On your handout tonight, there's a series of questions uh, going along with the acrostic uh, that I would encourage you to read through. Write some names down as you read through. Relatives, you know, what cousins, in-laws, nieces, nephews, what relatives can you reach? Employment, who do you interact with? Who do you carpool with? Who do you travel with? Uh, activities. What do you do that brings you into contact with, with other, other people? Do you play sports? Do you, do you have, you know, some place that you go to, to hang out? Do you play in the community band? Um, you know, what activities do you do? Or what activities do your kids do that, that you would be sitting there with other parents, talking for hours? You know, focus on. How can you, how can you use those contacts that God has placed in your lap as opportunities for evangelism? Your community? Who lives near you? Who do you, who do you pass on your, your daily regimen? What hobbies do you have? What hobbies do you have that, that bring you into contact with others? Or what, what could you start based on one of your hobbies that would, that would produce that kind of connection? Maybe in some of these areas, um, you don't have anything right now. But it may be something that you could start now so that in the future, you say, well, I do have contacts, you know, so that you can begin preparing for, for evangelizing p- those people in the future. So those are what I would encourage you uh, to pursue, t- to seek after. But if you have limited, limited opportunities, limited contact with unsafe people, or there's other constraints on, on your schedule or your health, um, I would encourage you to commit to participate in some, some organized things that we'll do as a church, uh, things that we have done in the past and we will continue to do. So I'll take a few minutes here to describe uh, three of them that we've used in the past that we'll continue to implement. So over the past years, uh, several of you have been involved in our Saturday morning visitation program. Uh, what this program entails is, is fairly simple. We subscribe to a mailing list. We get the names and addresses of people that move into the community, uh, just like all of the, the businesses around here, you know, so they send you those moving offers or window replacements or insurance, you know. You get all those, ma- all those mailings. Um, those, those names, those addresses, we get, but with a different purpose. We're not interested in selling someone, selling anything. Um, so we use it as a point of contact the lives of people we may not otherwise have met. And we make a personal visit uh, to their home to welcome them. We take them some basic information about Lebanon that is provided by the community. We take them some basic Bible reading material, some basic information about our church, and we drop it off. Sometimes the interactions are fairly brief uh, if they're not interested in talking, or they can be quite extensive. Sometimes even just the mention of a church or asking someone about their relationship with God begins, opens up a whole discussion of of what we believe, what the gospel is, how they can know for sure they're going to heaven. Um, So we're going to continue that on Saturday mornings. uh, Typically, it is going to be the third Saturday of the month uh, from 10 o'clock until noon, unless there's some other conflicts there. Uh, And I would encourage you, any of you to, to participate in that. It's a great opportunity, not just for outreach, but for training. If you're wondering, how do I do this? Well, come and we'll pair you up with someone that can show you. Um, however, uh, for those of you who live in Lebanon, some of these addresses, these, these people may be your neighbors. Uh, right now, we get addresses for, for the Lebanon zip codes and for Kleona. Uh, but we can, we can expand that if there's other interest. Uh, And some of these people moving in may be your neighbors, and we would love you love to give you the opportunity to meet them, to welcome them, and you be the contact to welcome your neighbors into the community. Um, So, in our monthly meetings, uh, we'll make these addresses available to you to look through and say, "Hey, this one's near my house. I'm going to take that." Or, if Saturday morning doesn't work for you, you say, "Hey, my partner and I, you know, we could we could probably go out on a." a weekday evening, and we could, we could visit some of these people. So if you're looking for opportunities, they're there. Another opportunity that we've done in the past I- involving these same addresses is to write a personal letter to them. Many of you have been involved in this ministry as well. Uh, most communication in this day, day and age is quite impersonal, okay, like those offers you get from the local dental office or a State Farm Agency. Uh, I don't know how State Farm sends out so much mail. but it seems like every week I'm getting something from them. Uh, we want to stand out from this, though. Uh, we want to do things personal, because it's a personal relationship we're talking about. It's a personal God we're talking about. And so we want to welcome them to the neighborhood to share our faith and our church with them. And this is a very low-pressure way to be able to make an inroad into someone's heart. Their writing can be done on any schedule at any time of day, uh, but at the same time, can provide that personal touch that is is often missing in our society. Uh, so when we meet uh, next Sunday evening, I'll have the material needed. If you want to if you want to write some of these letters, uh, just pick it up next Sunday evening, and uh, we'll give you more instructions about both of these if those are things that you're interested in. Uh, a third opportunity uh, that's available for you uh, is somewhat different than the previous two that I mentioned. Uh, every Sunday, you may have noticed that out in the foyer, there are several people standing around uh, with welcome packets, little red packets, looking out for visitors. Okay, these people are what we've known in the past as the hospitality team. And this is a vital ministry that focuses on welcoming people, connecting with our guests. This is definitely, this is something that all of us should be doing. When we come to church, we should have, we should have our eyes open for these people to, to welcome them, to make them feel like, like they belong, like, like there is a connectedness here. But the hospitality team has this as their explicit goal. Uh, the goal is not, to is not just to give visitors that, that warm, fuzzy feeling of, of connecting with someone, though that's important. It's also to begin to, sh- to communicate who our church is and what we're all about. When you walk through doors, there's, there's so much information to take in, what is important, what is not, what can I learn about this church? And the hospitality team has it as their goal to be able to, to tell them the important things about the church, what we believe, who we serve, why we do what we do. And so due to the nature of this ministry, uh, this is one that, uh, le- unlike the other two, we can't just do it on an ad hoc basis and say, you know, when you show up, just, just grab some welcome packets and, uh, you know... Do your job if you're here. Uh, so we'd like to have a regular schedule so we can rotate different people and at least have people who are, are you know, somewhat have that sense of responsibility that this is their week to, to really look out for, for visitors uh, and that fewer, fewer of them would, would slip through the cracks, as it were. Uh, so if you're interested in finding out more about this ministry, um, I would urge you to just mark that on your card here. It's at the bottom. Uh, and I did make a note there that this is not a final commitment. Um, I'll explain more about what's involved here and, and what you would do with visitors. Um, we'll have a, a follow up meeting about that. So, marking that on the card just tells me that you might be interested, not that uh, you're signing your life away. Um, and that is a ministry that, that would run over the next year and not just the three months uh, that, that we are emphasizing this REACH program. So I've mentioned uh, monthly meetings several times now. Let me explain what those will be about. Uh, So each month we'll meet on a Sunday evening, 6 Uh, o'clock. It'll be probably the first Sunday of March, April, and May. Uh, We'll have a brief time of sharing testimonies, discussing some outreach opportunities that, that happened and things that are coming up in the coming month that may be of, of relevance to you, uh, and then some time praying for one another. Uh, while we're encouraging most of the outreach to be done outside of the walls of the church on your own initiative, it's also important that it's not something we feel like we're doing in isolation. We don't want to be like, well, is anybody else is anybody else doing this? Or i kind of like a lone ranger out here. So, these, these meetings will be, will be times that we can encourage one another, meet with one another. In addition to this, uh, I, will, I will do my best to, to compile any, any of these opportunities and, you know, some reminders, some instructions, some, some prompts, and uh, send those out in an email every week. So, if you do email, Put your email address there on the card, and I'd be glad to include you there. If not, just make a note, and I'll try to print out a copy so that you can get one of, one of those um, so you're, you're kept in the loop. So I know taking the step to share your faith can be hard, especially with people that you're closer to. It's one thing to, to share the gospel with somebody that you'll never see again. It's, all, it's a lot harder when it's that person sitting next to you At work, that you're gonna see the next day and the next day. Um, The gospel is confrontational. It labels people as sinners, deserving God's judgment. That's uncomfortable. But the gospel is also life giving. The gospel is what frees people from their sin. For those of you who will commit uh, to this initiative, uh, I'm promising to pray for you uh, specifically over the next three months. Uh, Along with that, uh, do know that if you get to the point in a conversation uh, with someone where they're interested, uh, but you feel stuck or you feel like you're in over your head, uh, don't be afraid to ask them if they would be open to, to talking with a pastor or, or doing a short Bible study together. Talk to me, and I would be glad to, to arrange something uh, with myself or, or any of the other pastors who would have availability. Uh, so as you consider your involvement with this, uh, I would urge you to do so prayerfully. Okay, not just considering if it's something you want to do or if it fits into your schedule, if it's convenient, but if it's something that God uh, would want you to be involved in. There will naturally be some discomfort involved. Okay? You're pushing yourself. You're taking steps beyond where you've gone before. Uh, but don't be afraid of that. Uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Allow Christ's love for the loss to flow through you, overcome any apprehensions you have. Now, if you're willing to do this, take that sign-up card, fill it out, and drop it in the basket in the back. And begin praying about who you would partner with, who you would reach out to. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see what God can do with us as we partner together with each other. Let's pray. Father, we are in all of you. As we, as we consider the gospel, Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to, to have hope for the future. We deserve to be, be trembling of, of the judgment that is, that is coming. But Lord, you have saw fit, you have seen fit to, to provide us with this hope, to provide us with a beautiful picture of who you are, of your nature, that you loved us even when we were unlovely. And Lord, that is, that is a, a beautiful revelation of your character. So uh, Lord, I just ask that we as Christians who are bought by your blood would, though imperfectly, be able to reflect some of that to the community around us. Lord, that they would know that there is a God, that they would know there is a God who cares for them. So Lord, help us in this endeavor Lord, not that we would be glorified, not that our names would be, would be praised, or that we would be recognized for doing a good job, but, Lord, that you would be pleased. And, Lord, this is our prayer. We ask that you would just work in each individual's heart tonight. And, Lord, as we, as we celebrate communion uh, coming up, Lord, help us just to enjoy this time of reflection on your sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we pray this in your name. And for your glory, amen.